Welcome to Jim Galliano's Building a Better Web Presence podcast. Build something better with less moving parts, less overhead, and less headaches. Hey everyone, this is Jim Galliano, and thanks for joining me for today's podcast episode. It's great to be back with another episode, and according to Apple Podcasts, this is episode 241. But technically, it's more like 243, I think, because as it turns out, I did identify two what we might call lost podcast episodes. I have no idea what happened to them. They seem to have disappeared off the server But these are episodes going back to year number one in 2017, so I'm not really too worried about it. But either way, welcome back. If you're a new listener, this is the podcast where we talk about building a digital online business without having a nervous breakdown in the process. I take what I like to call a less moving parts approach to online business success. And whatever your definition of success is, I believe you can get more of it without killing yourself in the process. It's just a matter of focusing on the things that really matter and not focusing on the things that don't because nothing will ever be 100% in life. And if everything needs to be 100% in order for you to be happy, well, you know, you'll just never be happy. It's true in business. It's true in life. It's true across the board. Now, if you want help learning how you can start applying digital marketing strategy Uh, maybe for your own business, maybe to help your clients, maybe a little bit of both. Or maybe even in the back of your mind, you're thinking, you know what, this digital strategist approach is kind of compelling. If it's something that you're interested in, go ahead and head over to jimsnewsletter.com. Sign up there today. It's an absolutely free monthly newsletter that I just started publishing last month. And you'll get just enough information every month along with some recommendations, some reading recommendations, sometimes software, to help you get moving in the right direction without being overwhelmed with too many options. That's available right now at jimsnewsletter.com. So I was thinking about this week. What is it that causes people to stop and notice your business? If someone asked you that, just in passing, Just in a regular conversation, maybe you're sitting around with some business friends and one of them turned to you and said, what is it that causes people to stop and take notice of your business? Maybe you could answer that question quickly, succinctly. Maybe you'd have to think about it for a while before giving an answer. Maybe you really couldn't give an answer. And I know for the longest of times, I really couldn't give an answer because it wasn't something that I thought about. I was getting referral traffic, referral business, and I really enjoy the natural organic ways that business can grow. Even though organic methods, as opposed to, let's say, paid advertising or something like that, even though the organic methods do work, that's not to say that you can't put in the effort to do everything that you know how to do to make yourself more visible, to make what you have more visible to more people. And to set up a process of sorts so that this kind of works in the background all the time, whether you're quote unquote working it or not. Let me explain a little bit about what I'm talking about because a lot of you are, you're entrepreneurs, you're solopreneurs, and you're dividing up your time wearing a lot of different hats. It's understandable. It's one of the pros and cons. I guess you can look at it as a plus or you can look at it as a minus. On the plus side, If the business is just you and you have other people that help out from time to time with different projects or getting something set up for the first time, or maybe you hire a consultant to come in or a copywriter, whatever, but mainly the business is you. If you weren't there, the income would stop. There are pros and cons to that, of course, too. Number one, the pros is that you don't have to worry about payroll. You don't have to meet payroll every week. For those of my friends that have quite a number of employees I just want to share with you. If you've never been in that place before, the stress of managing payroll can be overwhelming at times. I know some of my friends, especially near the holiday seasons, when their employees were looking to them as the number one, the only source of their income, and business was bad different times over the last 
I don't even know how long it's been now, but I know back in 2008, 2009, the economy really took a dump and we went into what people call the Great Recession. And at that time, a few of my friends didn't even uh, take a payroll for themselves. They didn't even take a check. They didn't even cut a check for themselves because they just had to be able to pay for their employees. They just couldn't look at their employees in the face. And these are uh, some of my friends were in manufacturing. So they had this huge overhead. And, you know, you look at all of this and you think to yourself, is it really worth it? And some of my friends came to the conclusion that it wasn't. So there's a lot of stress that can happen in that kind of business if it's just yourself and subcontractors. Well, subcontractors are used to being subcontractors. They know that they're not an employee. They know there's no guarantee of work. And so none of that pressure is directly on your shoulders. Another thing is if it's just you and maybe you and a, and a loved one or a spouse or a significant other, if it's just the two of you, I know most people that are married or, or have a somebody they're close to in a relationship, I know that the partner is always willing to help however they can help. So we're never really on our own, especially when you factor in the technology. But if you apply the 80% rule to what you're doing, the 80-20% rule, I should say, 80-20, and some people call it 10-90, but 80% of what you're, or 20%, I'm sorry, of what you're doing is responsible for 80% of the results. And some people say it's more like 10% of your effort is responsible for 90% of your results. And so if that's true and you're working yourself to death, then that means that the other 20% is bothering you a lot. If you don't let that 20% that's not getting done, remember, let me make sure just in case some of you kind of faded out there, let me explain this again. 80-20, what it means is that 20% of your effort is producing 80% of the result. Well, if that 20% of your effort is, let's say, occupying how many hours a week? Let's say that 20% of your effort is occupying 20 hours a week. But in order to really hit that 100%, you're going to have to double the amount of time that you're working. Some people might sit back and look at that and think, you know, is it really worth it? Can I be happy with the 80%? Maybe the 80% is producing six figures, but you want to be a little bit higher on the graph, so you have to put in more effort. See, these are the things that no one can answer for you. These are questions that you have to answer for yourself, but at least question it, because if you don't question it, sometimes we do things that really don't make a lot of sense. We just have become, they've just become a habit for us, for lack of a better way of putting it. You know, we just habitually do things that don't matter because that's the way we've always done them. So sometimes you have to push back from the table, maybe take a long, hard look from a distance at the big picture and begin to identify things that are taking up more of your time and really not giving you the return that they should. I know I, if I apply this to my home, let's say the 80-20 rule, and I look at all of the things that are fine, everything that's working in my home. I'm talking about mechanically now. I could look around and I can see that, okay, everything, the electricity is working fine. The plumbing's working fine. The walls have just been painted. Everything was painted, I think, two, two years ago. Oh, wait a minute. Everything was repainted in here. Thank God Lori isn't here as I'm recording this. She repainted everything in August, I believe it was, inside. We're going to be painting the outside. So I look at all of this. All of this is fine. But you know what? There's like dust. There's a lot of dust. A lot of things need to be dusted. And if you have a lot of objects on a shelf, you, know, you have to take them off and dust them individually. I haven't been keeping up with the dusting. And most of our home, we have these very shiny terrazzo floors that are beautiful. But they all, we can also see like dust bunnies along the wall, especially when the heat is coming up. It seems like it always seems like there's dust. I think if you have carpet, the carpet catches a lot of the dust. Anyway, I'm talking about the, the 80 20. So I'm saying that 80% of everything in my home I'm happy with, 20%, let's say I'm not. 
But I can allow that 20% that I'm not happy with. For example, there's a door that leads out to the garage that sticks once in a while. And so maybe we can take an entire day and finally fix that door. But then there's another issue in the garage. And then there's another issue with a window in the back bedroom. And, and I mean, there's always going to be something. And so if you want to, you can work nonstop in making everything 100%, but it never stays 100% for long. Now, if you apply that the 80-20 rule to your business, you might say, well, most of our income is coming from this source. Most of the, uh, our successful marketing efforts revolve around this message. And then you think, well, what about the other part over here? So you have to ask yourself, would it be better to double down on what's already working and have it work better or maybe spread out your resources and tackle an area that's brand new? Again, that's a question that only you can answer. I guess it depends how much energy you have. I guess it depends how experienced you are. But back to the question, what causes people to notice your business? Most of us start our businesses with an intense focus on the product or the service we're about to deliver. That makes sense because after all is said and done, that's what people are paying for. We want to have the best product or the best service that we're capable of delivering. So in the beginning, we really lean heavily on our individual skills and we price whatever it is that we're offering based on what's already out there in the marketplace. You have to start somewhere. So most of us keep it as simple as possible. Most of us try to put our price competitively, not too high, not too low. But most of us also do not start out with a formal business plan. And honestly, no one is probably going to ask you for one unless they're going to be maybe an early investor in your business if you really want to go big. A friend or a relative that believes in your plan or gives or loans you, loans you some money, they don't count here in this example. We're talking about investors. You're probably not going to have any investors. Now, in the early days, if you can remember the early days of your own business, you've been doing this for a while, it's often sheer energy and work ethic that drives you forward. You just know what you're selling. You put 110%, if there's such a thing, let's just call it 100%. You put 100% effort in and getting it done and getting it done right or the best that you can do. And what happens over time? What happens over time is eventually we hit this plateau and it feels like we may never rise any higher than our current position. I've been there, you've been there, we've all been there before. And at this point, some people will tread water and more or less remain in the same spot, sometimes for years to come. Now, some people will be making enough money to pay their bills. They'll have some left over, but they'll never get beyond that spot. And quite honestly, some people won't be motivated to go beyond that spot because maybe they're one of two incomes in the household. They're happy. The other person's happy. So nothing will change. Now, other people won't be as fortunate. Their business will not bring in enough money to sustain them in the years to come. So they'll either close up shop and they'll find something else or they'll work multiple what you might call side hustles or jobs just to make ends meet. The thing about the plateau is you're at a place where there's obviously something missing from your business when you compare what you're doing with those who are on a higher level doing basically the same thing. So you look at what you have and skill-wise, you may not see really much of a difference between your struggling business, which is plateaued, and someone's successful business, which is at a much higher level than what you have. Result for result, you may think that they're very comparable and I wouldn't argue with that. That may absolutely be the truth. And this is where we start to compare what we're doing to what others are doing who are more successful or more profitable than we are. Then depending on your personality, I know we're all human, but some people just, this just rubs people the wrong way. Some people become very negative. Some people become very cynical. Other people are just quite honest with themselves and admit that they must be missing something. And they're open and they're willing to learn and they're open and they're willing to change. Now, one of the things that makes it very difficult for certain 
personality types to break out of this flatlining type of pattern is the desire to change for the better. There's a difference, I think, between wanting something and desiring it. So you may want to speak another language. If someone asked you, would you like to be able to speak another language? I think a lot of people would say yes. Maybe even people that speak several languages would say that. But it's only desire that will cause you to buy a language course to stick with it and to become immersed to the point where you begin to get proficient in that other language. And so what happens is that people stick with doing things that get them minimal results because changing whatever they become comfortable doing is not easy for them. Change isn't easy for anyone. It's stressful because you're moving into unknown territory. Think about the learning process. When something is unknown, when something is unfamiliar to you, when you're trying to retain new information, everything is heightened. Your senses, you use a part of your mind that would otherwise be dormant. You're going to a place where many things are new again, and you're going to see things in a new light. You're going back to the place where once again you become the student. And you have to be open to change and that's something that's a whole lot easier to talk about than it is to do for all of us. Just about everyone you can have a conversation with today will tell you, if they're honest with you, that they could use some positive changes in their lives. I don't think there's anyone, maybe, that you could talk to that would say otherwise, that they have reached the heights of, of their self-development, their relationships are all great, business is great, everything is great, and they've reached the pinnacle. I think if you found that person, they would be probably quite old. <laughs> but let's talk about one of the com common problems that we could solve in business. One of the practical things I think that if you use a simple strategy coupled with some basic marketing, maybe it's a very simple marketing campaign, that we can use to measure or gauge our effectiveness. Let's talk about changing a few things up because the original question I asked was, what was it that would cause someone or what is it that's causing people to stop and notice your business? Because even though we've, we're good at what we do, maybe we're getting better. Maybe we think we're improving, but the bottom line doesn't show that. Remember, you're in business and everything you do, we need a return on or else we're out of business. So if you're not sure what it is that causes people to stop and hesitate and consider doing business with you, then that's a problem that needs to be solved. It's a common problem, but it probably means that we're going to have to change some things. And being that change is easier to talk about than it is to actually go ahead and do, let's go ahead and talk about one of the easier ways that we can go about doing this. So let's solve a pro practical problem. Let me talk just briefly about strategy. Why do we need a strategy for our business? Because there's too many other people out there doing what you and I do. If you want to be seen as being the obvious choice, just imagine that. What if everyone saw you as the obvious choice for whatever it is they had need of? The obvious source of information relative to your topic. Heads and shoulders above everyone else that's talking about or doing the same thing or providing the same thing that you're providing. Wouldn't it be great to be in that place and to become that choice to an increasing number of people as you move into the future? Well, do you think you need a plan to get there or do you think it can just kind of play out naturally or, and organically to happen that way? I'm guessing that Unless someone invites you to their platform, which is already gigantic, which is already established, just like the old mainstream media used to work, they already have a platform. They invite you, the talking head, to their platform, and there's a built-in audience there. Unless something like that happens, that means that you, as an individual, are going to have to do the things to build that audience because it's not going to be handed to you. No one's going to hand it to you. Even the people today that invite you to their platform, it's still their platform. And why would we want it any other way? 
Because originally, the whole on online world did what? It leveled the playing field. Now, may, it may not be as level now as it once was, but there's still more opportunity for you to excel in this space than any other space that I can think of. There's still more opportunity for you to become a, a known entity in your market than, let's say, any other approach to accomplishing it, this that's out there today. So we absolutely positively need a strategy. So let's say you're a freelancer and the service you provide, it's really irrelevant for the sake of the explanations today, but let's just say you're a freelancer and you have your product. So our first challenge is to figure out how we can make you stand out. Because if I ask you the question, what is it that's causing people to notice your business? A lot of you will just say, well, people find out about me because my existing clientele refers me. And that's great, but are you getting referrals every week? Are you getting referrals every month? Are they coming with any kind of consistency? I'm guessing probably not. Thank God for the referrals, but waiting for referrals to come in isn't very proactive. Now I know books have been written about how to have your own kind of referral machine going on. I've personally learned that if you want more referrals from your existing clients, one of the easiest ways to do is to you know, give them a $100 handshake or, or maybe even more than that, depending on what you sell, for every person they send your way. There's no better way to say thank you than with cash in hand. <laughs> but let's say you don't want to do that. Let's say you want to take, you really want to dig in and figure out what's the cause of this problem. Why is it that you are just blending in or seem to be camouflaged with the trees in your marketplace? So that's the challenge to figure out how we can make you stand out. There's a lot of traditional ways people have done this over the years, but we're not talking about the traditional past offline world. I know people have done everything from the way they dress to the way they talk, the way they carry themselves. All of these things can make people stand out in the offline world, even in the online world too, depending on what type of platform that you have. But this isn't the approach that the average, let's say, freelancer is going to use or that the average solopreneur, entrepreneur, uh, business owners, they're not going to use that. You know, They're not going to dye their hair green and dress up as the Joker, let's say, <laughs> and go out there. And that's going to be their way to be memorable. I remember hearing the story about one real estate guy that basically did that started calling himself Tex instead of his first name and, you know, left his last name, of course, but grew the handlebar mustache, put on a big 10-gallon hat, bought this big vehicle, big Cadillac. This is back in the 80s, and I think he had um, bullhorns attached to it, and he made buying real estate from him a completely different experience, and he went from being just an unknown real estate seller in Texas. I forgot what what part of Texas, but he went to becoming one of the top real estate sellers in the state in, in short order just by creating this whole persona. Yeah, you can create an online persona, but you know, if you've never done that before, you don't feel comfortable. One of the things is that, you know, there's some certain things that you're never going to feel comfortable doing because they're really not you. Some of you are more outgoing than others and you can borrow and tweak and do some of these things that maybe you've seen others do in the past. But let's just stick with you're the average. Let's just imagine you're the average freelancer. You have a website. You have some services for sale on the website. You have some contact information. So if you go to the average freelancer's website, what are you going to see? Maybe you see a list of services, maybe some pricing, maybe there's a download. There's nothing wrong with any of these things, but if you don't already have some kind of brand or reputation that's already in place, these elements alone probably won't give you much of an edge against your competitors. You may not feel like you have any competitors, but I absolutely assure you that you do. If you say that you're so unique that you don't really have any competitors, then your bottom line should reflect that with a lot of exclamation marks after it. That means you're the first to something that is going to be big. Because if there's money in anything, you can't hide it for long, not anymore. It's not like it was in the old days. So not, not unless you're doing something illegal anyway. But if you're doing something legal and you're online and you want to be, you want people to stop and take notice of you, then 
if you look around at all of your competitors and you just do what they're doing, then you're just going to blend in, like won't be able to see the forest for the trees. Maybe that's one way we could put it. You'd be camouflaged against the background. So where do we begin? Let's take that, let's take that snapshot. Where would we begin? So in this example, I would start with the copywriting component, with the copywriting element. Now, if you're familiar with how copywriters work, let's say you have a website, you have all the elements that everybody else does, <clears throat> all the basic things. Let me explain. If you hired a copywriter, someone that's going to write effective sales copy for your company, they need to have a super clear understanding of who you are. Most of them will have you answer an in-depth questionnaire. They want to know what you're selling. They'll want to know what makes you the better option than the other competing options that are on the marketplace. I know some of the top copywriters who write for big corporations, and what they do is they go in and a lot of them shortcut the process by interviewing the top three salespeople in that company. And they'll want to know the words they use, how they close, what the benefits are of that product, and they will get all of that information. They will compile it because that's how you write effective sales copy. And you have to have all of that information. You need to understand the kind of person who purchases these kinds of products. The copywriter is going to want to know what the top frustrations are, what's keeping the people that purchase this product before they purchase it up at night. They really dig in because they want to know where people are hurting. They want to know where people are lacking. They want to know where people are frustrated. And they want to get those words and those descriptions down on paper so they're feeling like the customer is feeling. And they need to figure out not just where they are and what's missing in their lives, but they want to figure out where that person wants to be and how to get them there and what life will be like after they get there as compared to what life was like before they got there. And so a good copywriter needs all of that information because that's what it takes to craft, and stay with me, a compelling argument to craft or write or produce or create a compelling argument, one that could convince a jury of your peers, let's say, that you are the best choice, that you are the obvious choice, the safest investment, and the one that will generate the best ROI, the best return on investment out there. So they're not just hiring you to do stuff. They are investing in you for, and there is a litany of reasons why. And they'll also want to provide the visitors, let's say to your business, to your website, to your sales materials, proof of these claims, testimonials of other people who have used your services and have gotten these kinds of results. And then of course, there's going to be a call to action so that the prospective buyer can take the next step from there. And yes, this can all be done with text and images in a very clean, easy to follow page layout. Or the alternative is you could hope that your simple menu of services and pricing and maybe newly designed logo will somehow produce the same results. So I hope a light bulb is going off for you right now. I really do hope so. Now, the same thing that I just explained like a copywriter might do the same thing can be achieved even quicker with a video because with a video the person is able to hear your voice to see you and you yourself can make the same compelling argument that a copywriter would make but the words are coming directly from you if you decide to use video now both work but it's shown it's shown over time that video works easier you don't even have to be, really. Honestly, you don't even have, have to have your face on video. You can just, if you were talking over slides, and remember, we're not just talking about slides of information. We're not just talking about slides of data. We're talking about taking all of this information and crafting an argument that's designed to convince people 
that you are the best choice, that you are the obvious choice, that you are the safest investment. Now, you may be thinking, and it's good if you're thinking this, well, Jim, I really don't even know if I'm the, to be honest with you, I don't know if I'm the best investment. I don't know if I'm the best choice. And we have to ask, well, why? And you may say, well, I'm not as good of a, a writer or I'm not as good as like uh, a designer or social media person or whatever. I'm not as good as, let's say, some of the top people in my field. And if I asked you, why is that? Are, are you at least competent? Because if you're not competent, you shouldn't be in business. And you might say, well, yeah, obviously I'm competent or else I wouldn't have started this business. I do have some regular customers that pay me ongoing so if you tell me that, I would just say, okay, you are competent. You do have skill or other, otherwise people would be paying you regularly. You wouldn't have any happy clients if you were terrible at what you were doing. So I understand that some people really judge themselves harshly against others, against their competitors, against their contemporaries. And there's nothing wrong with taking the lower seat, even if maybe you deserve the higher seat. There's nothing wrong with being humble. But there's a difference between humbleness and self-doubting, having self-doubts. Whatever those doubts are, I guarantee you there's a cure for whatever it is that's causing you to doubt. Now, for some people, doubt is just directly connected with the lack of experience. They believe they could help a bunch of people if they had the opportunity to because they were able to help one person here and one person there with the same type of product, with the same type of information. So if you put them in a room with 300 of those same type of people, then they should be able to help all 300 of them instead of two of them. But they haven't done that yet. They need the experience before they're going to feel comfortable. So that's just natural growth. That's understandable. It's understandable that kind of doubt. But maybe your skill level isn't quite where you think it should be. And you have to ask yourself, well, what could you do to solve that problem to remove that doubt, to remove that uncertainty? Well, you can either learn the skill or you can subcontract that out. It's as simple as that. You can either do it. And I have to tell you that sometimes just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. Sometimes it's better just to take something off of your plate and use that free time that you'll have by not having that thing on your plate to do something else. Do something else that brings you even a bigger or greater type of return. So there are certain things that people, let's talk, we're talking about the buyer now. Let's talk about the people who are potentially your prospects, potentially your customers. There are certain things that those people hate about people who sell your kind of service. Let me say that again. There's people out there, let me rephrase it like this. There's people out there that hate people that do what you and I do. Okay, would, would you have an argument about that? Probably not. Now, for years, people who sold cars, this is a good example. People who sold cars had lousy reputations for years. Now, if you've, if you've ever purchased a vehicle from a good salesperson, you know that there's exceptions. If, you, if it hasn't happened for you yet, I'm sorry, live a little longer, maybe it'll happen. But, you know, used cars people were kind of, even new car people sometimes, they're hated like lawyers and politicians. But one day, I remember this. Someone had the idea of making the car buying experience completely different. The whole process could be done online and you wouldn't have to sit across the table from someone trying to squeeze every last dime out of you, trying to upsell you from all these different services, trying to sell you all these different warranties. You were just guaranteed the, the best price with no haggling. I forgot the first company that did that. But I remember hearing about, this is about 10 years ago, I heard about it for the very first time here in Florida. Now, I have to say I come from the Northeast. So I was brought up where haggling and maybe walking away from a deal two to three times, only to be called back to the table, was part of the normal car buying process. And that's how I learned that more things than you realize in life are negotiable if you don't need whatever it is you're considering buying right away. You can even negotiate, believe it or not, a surgery if you don't need it immediately. Do you know that you can price surgeries? Some people don't know this. I have doctors that are clients and, and anything that you can imagine, 
you can negotiate with the doctor as long as it's done ahead of time. But anyway, like I was saying, there are things that people hate about doing business with online service providers. There are things that people hate about doing business with freelancers. And once you figure out what that thing is relative to your market, you can create a compelling argument around why that's not going to happen if they do business with you. Just like this car dealership or this chain of cars, I forgot what their name is now, but they basically said, you call us, you get the lowest price right up front. No haggling, no stress. What it is is what it is. And they had all of these happy people giving testimonials about what a different type of car buying experience it was, even buying used cars and how they ticked all the boxes. Every used car on that lot had met this criteria. And so what they did is they isolated these few things that people hated by going through the car buying experience and they created a user experience that eliminated each of those things. So relative to your market, if you go out there and talk about or talk to people who purchased services that they weren't happy from people who do what you do in the past, ask them what those things are and then build a compelling argument about why the new customer is not going to have that experience with you. You can totally reposition everything that you're doing in a brand new light. It's amazing how some of the simple tweaks can have such a profound impact on your business. And in the big scheme of things, these really are very simple fixes and changes you can make. Yes, sometimes you do have to slow the vehicle down a bit to make the changes, turn the corner, and then start heading in a different direction. But again, big picture before you know it, the effort it takes to do these things will be behind you and you'll be getting back up to speed with the difference being you'll be heading in a much more profitable direction. But there's plenty of small businesses out there that have great success. Now, what I mean by great success is that let's say that we're looking at a six figure type of business. It's very popular today. Everybody needs to hit six figures, especially if you pay a lot of a lot of taxes. You have young children. You have to save for the future. Not everyone needs a six-figure business. For some people, 50 or 60K a year will, will do just fine. So, But we have to pick a number for the sake of conversation. But just by creating a different kind of process that you're going to take your user through, offering them a different user experience and making the argument right up front, this is the kind of experience that most people like you have with my kind of business, this is the kind of experience that you're going to have. This is how our process works. This is how we communicate with you. This is what you'll have to do and this is what you won't have to do. And if you're ready to get started, now whether you have this spelled out in text, combination of text and video, however you do it, it's the fact that this is something that you have in place that you currently don't have in place or, or, you could just stick with your menu of services and your brand new color palette and hope that somehow that gets people to see what I just mentioned. I, I, I'm just being facetious about this, of course. But you build a different kind of process. You tell people why it's different. You show them. You make a compelling argument as to why. It's just the tip of the iceberg when we're talking about what it takes to stand out in a competitive niche. It's not a lot. Does it take a little bit of focus to do this, to get this from concept to completion? Well, yeah, but think about what kind of energy that you'll have once you realize that, wow, I don't have this and how much better things could be if I did. So another way we can look at this is in terms of maybe first impressions. If you're looking to grow your business, you're going to be in contact with a lot of new people for the very first time. A lot of times we settle, but if we're actively trying to grow, by definition, that means we're going to have to connect with a lot of new people for the very first time. And so what kind of first impression are we going to leave them with? What system are you going to put in place to help turn those visitors from clients into customers? Or are you just going to hope that they like you because you're a nice person? You following where I'm coming from? You know, in recent years, I've seen a little bit of a resurgence in people publishing books. 
paperback books, softcover books, and then using these books as a lead magnet type of giveaway. They have more value than, let's say, a digital book or an ebook or a PDF or a white paper. And a short book on your topic can go a long way towards establishing you as an expert. I'm talking about, you know, the kind of physical book that you can have produced or published on demand at a place like Amazon. Yeah, I know that right now I'm just about to open another can of worms. But remember the topic that we're talking about. We're talking about you avoiding looking, uh, as we used to say in North Jersey, like another stiff out there just trying to make some money. So uh, last year, here's an example of this. I received a really well-written booklet. It was eight and a half by 11, you know, folded in half with some staples in the back. So this booklet was basically a long form sales letter, but they did a great job in providing little nuggets of value within their information. It happened to be about marketing and the premise of the sales pitch within the booklet was your business is different. That's why you need to customize a marketing plan that's designed specifically for you. And on the back cover was the website address, along with special pricing for those who had received this booklet in the mail. And inside the booklet, it was taped shut. It had one of those little round pieces of tape. There was a postcard in there that basically summarized everything that was in the booklet. Really well done. Now, they were promoting a $14,000 program that was on sale for a limited time for $9,000. Now, the point is this. It's just another example of a business entity looking to separate themselves from their competitors by doing things a little bit differently. And sending snail mail today instead of doing things 100% digital definitely made me stop and take notice. If this same message was just on a website, it would have been one of those really long form messages, or if it was just an ebook download. I, you know, I wouldn't have stopped to take notice. So that said, I'm not what you would call their ideal customer. I'm sure most of you have heard the term ideal customer, ideal client, or customer, avatar, words like that, definitions like that. It's like a snapshot of the person who's a good fit for your business. For example, a lot of the clothing and food brands Today, they target young people. Actually, they always have, but they target younger people with their product mar marketing because the statistics show that if someone starts using these brands regularly in their late, let's say, 20s, early 30s, in their early 20s, people try a lot of different things. But usually by the time they're reaching 30, they're starting to pick their favorites, and then they go on to become customers for life. That's why in a lot of the advertisements, you'll see young people. It's not that they you know, look better on film than older people or in pictures, but it's just that's that's who they're targeting. If, if you look up a uh, senior living, of course, you'll see older people in the photographs. But those are the big companies that do this. Now, maybe for your business, maybe the ideal client is somebody like a business owner, key decision maker. Maybe they have an established business. They've been around for, let's say, seven to 10 years. So they have some money to spend. It's a small business. They have a handful of, let's say, employees, and they have a specific need in their business that others who do what you do haven't been able to fulfill. And so once you find out what that is, why, what haven't they been able to do? Don't just be vague or general about it. And this is coming from someone who has probably been more general or vague throughout most of my career than I needed to be. But when you get specific about it, that becomes the core of your messages. Because don't forget, our messaging isn't just for you know our, our individual domains. It, it goes to everything, to what we send in our email, what we talk about on the phone, uh, on our social profiles, what we focus on. That becomes part of our, our core messaging. Sometimes when I look at ideal client types or personality types, I can see where the needs are, what type of person would want to buy this. Other times, I just consider to the, the problem maybe to be the ideal need. 
You know, I solve an ideal need. Instead of looking for an ideal client type, you look for an ideal need that's shared by many different types of personalities. That's what bigger businesses do. So sometimes you can experiment with that. In other words, all your clients share a problem, and it doesn't matter what kind of business they have. And let's say we stick with small businesses, but it doesn't matter whether you know, they're into uh, retail, whether they're into commerce, or whether in the hospitality business, or whether they're in medical, but they all have that specific problem. It's kind of like someone that has problems with, with skin care. Maybe they have a, a rash or certain types of problems related to their skin. And it doesn't make any difference whether they're 20, 40, or, or 80, but they have this problem. So they become a, a client. So sometimes I look at it that way. If all of these people share a problem, then you can specialize in delivering a solution to that problem. So within this general area of, let's say, whatever it is you do, there's things that require more of a specific type of solution. Another way we could look at it is this. If the problem, if the problem really isn't an urgent problem, neither is the need for the solution. Using your home as an example, I'm sure there's things that, again, aren't 100% in your home right now. Maybe, again, the door doesn't close just right. Maybe you have to push it or you have to pull it and, and turn the lock to get it to set properly. Just little issues like that. Or maybe the remotes don't work properly that you use for your TV. Instead of just using one, you have to use two or three and you're just used to it. Instead of having it all programmed into one. Or maybe you just have like a slight drip in one of your sinks, but you're not really ready to fix it yet. It's very, very minute. It's not really a problem. In other words, things that aren't really right. If the problem isn't urgent, neither is the need for the solution. So if you want to look at your business in that light and the messaging, if you target your messaging around the problem, then you're more apt to get people's attention than if you just put general, this is what I do. I mean, the only time we think about a dentist really most people for the most part, is if maybe their teeth are dirty, they're having problems with their gums, or if they have a severe pain coming from a tooth, then what happens? The problem's urgent and so is the need for the solution. So if you want to get people's attention, think problem solution up front. Problem solution needs to be up front and center with everything that you do if you're struggling to grow your business. Does this apply to every single business? Of course not. There's not one way, one method that applies to everyone general across the board. But I'm talking about in general and relative to what we're talking about today, if you put problem solution up front and you identify the problem, the severity of that problem, now if you don't really solve a problem that's severe enough or that's urgent enough, well, maybe that's the problem that needs to be fixed. And again, that's not really something huge, but it, it starts, you can see, with the messaging. You may think, well, I have good information about my topic, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But so do hundreds or thousands of other sources that you're competing against. You may be thinking that, Jim, I know a lot about my topic. I'm good at what I do. Isn't that enough? You know, that's great. It's great that you know a lot. It's great that you're good at what you're doing. But we're talking about... What is it that's causing people to, and I say, what is it? Notice I didn't say, what was it? Because some of you have grown, but if you're honest with yourselves, that growth just is not there anymore. Don't take it personal. Don't beat yourself up for it. Don't make it all about you. It's all about the client. It's all about the listener. It's all about the viewer, isn't it? So even though you know a lot, even though you're good at it, if you don't have the numbers there, Think about this. What happens if someone with less skill than you, with less knowledge than you, with less experience, steps in front of you with a problem-solution-oriented message, let's say on their website or in their videos or on their social media, who do you think will get noticed first, you or them? Now, the great news is you can fix this problem. You can create a differentiator, I guess you'd call it, in your business. And even a very simple basic one to get started is better than none at all. 
what makes you different? Or what can you modify? What can you change? What can you add? What can you remove that will make you look different from your average competitor that's out there? Next, you can create a problem solution type of message for your business. And over the next several months, you can test it, you can fine tune it, you can tweak it, you can make some changes as you go. Don't try and get this just spot on. This isn't just a hit or miss type of proposition. This is change going forward. Maybe baby steps just to get started. Even a small improvement is enough to get you off of the track that you're on onto a better one. Now, the alternative, of course, is that you're stuck with the same basic list of services 90% or 95% of your competitors have. And referrals aside, you're not attracting a new audience, new prospects with any kind of consistency. It's a fixable problem, and I hope I've given you enough insight and, and some encouragement to get you started heading in the right direction. Okay, let's go ahead and put the bookmarker in it there. If you haven't been to my main website yet, jimgalliano.com. If you don't have my newsletter, jimsnewsletter.com. That's about all for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you think it will help a friend, please do go ahead and share the episode link with them or send them directly to jimgalliano.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for listening. Have a great rest of your week and I'll talk to you later. 